Uh, we are in a series um, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, we have this wisdom book from, uh, I believe, Solomon. Uh, most believe Solomon. There's a little bit of question there, but he's given us his, uh, his thoughts on how he pursued meaning and, and significance in everything uh, under the sun uh, and said it's all a waste of time, basically. Um, and so there's this kind of undercurrent of uh, discouragement and darkness, and we touch on that each week. Uh, but we uh, have also established that what Solomon's really trying to do is tell us that under the sun is kind of the disclaimer there. Um, that under the sun, the things that are temporary, the things that are uh, of the world, all of those things are passing away. And so there is no meaning, there is no meaning in them uh, if that's where our pursuits are tied up. If that's where our hopes and dreams and everything's tied up, uh, then it's futile futile. Uh, and Solomon was somebody who had the resources to explore meaning in anything and everything he wanted. Um, and so this isn't somebody who's, you know, well, he probably didn't have access to this, or uh, he didn't try this. I bet he would have been, you know, satisfied. Um, and so we have someone who has more wisdom than anyone uh, ever before him or after him, other than Jesus, and then um, all the wealth that he could have ever needed to pursue uh, all this uh, happiness. It's like if you took Bezos, right, and gave him all the wisdom in the world, uh, he's already got the money, and so he's going to pursue meaning in everything. And he says it's, it's a waste of time. Uh, but what he's doing is trying to draw our uh, perspective above the sun, right, to life uh, by the way of God and life, uh, in the, according to the New Testament, in Christ. Last week we talked about pleasure, how pleasure is meaningless under the sun. Pleasure is self-centered, but in Christ, we die to self. Uh, and so what is the purpose of pleasure in the life of a believer? If, if pleasure under the sun is all about self, and in Christ we die to self, uh, we said it's not a matter of just denying us everything that feels good. That's not why God has given us pleasure to punish us and say, don't do any of that. Um, but he's given us parameters, uh, and he's also given us good gifts, which are, again, supposed to draw our thankfulness and gratefulness to him. And so uh, he's the giver of good gifts. Uh, pleasure is a means to worship, not an ends in itself. So this morning we're going to consider uh, time, the time God has given us on this earth. Uh, it should be an interesting uh, journey as Solomon is such a Debbie Downer about everything, uh, and time is already kind of like a, uh, you know, a stressful thing. Uh, so let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We'll start there. He says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones again. Together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Uh, if you have a song playing in your head, then that shows a little bit how old you are. Uh, most of my musical references today are actually outdated, which is nothing new, um, but that's just uh, where my jams are. Uh, Solomon declares here in chapter 3 that there is a season or a time for everything under heaven. And he does so in a series of mirisms, which is a word I learned this week uh, in preparation for this morning. 
Uh, a mirrorism, according to Wikipedia, is a rhetorical device in which a combination of two contrasting parts of the whole refer to the whole. Now that's maybe a little too technical. Here's an example that I think we'll all understand. In order to say that someone searched everywhere, one could use the mirrorism that we searched high and low. Okay? So that, to me, helps it make a little more sense. I know what a mirrorism is if you say, oh, instead of saying I searched high and low and everywhere in between, I can just say I searched high and low, and I think we all get that that means, oh, okay, you looked everywhere. Uh, and so when Solomon presents these contrasting pairs in verses 1 through 8, He's saying, look, here's beginning and end, and it includes and implies everything in between. And so nothing is left out of what he is mentioning. And what he's doing with these first eight verses and in, in these mirrorisms that he presents to us is pointing to the exhaustive whole. He's, he's driving the home the fact that God rules over time. God rules over time. To say that there's appointed seasons uh, that expand, they, they cover an expanse and, and maybe epic things throughout life, and they take a really long time from our perspective. But as Solomon presents them, it's kind of a point A, point B, and everything in between, and they're all under the authority of God. I don't know if you uh, recognize this or, or notice this, but um, he says all of these things, these aspects of life, are under heaven. Now, normally what we see Solomon do is refer to things as under the sun. And so this is a little bit different, a little bit different approach that we see him take. And I think what he's doing here is he's giving us a little bit of a context of there is more than what is just under the sun. And so when he couches it as under heaven, he's making this reference to uh, God as this higher power who is over the things that he has just described. The seasons of life, the seasons of human history, the ebb and flow of the events that um, he's previously characterized as monotonous. We've seen that. He says the sun, right, like hustles, tired, tiredless, not, that's not a word, uh, as the sun pants to get back to where it starts uh, as it starts each day and just kind of gives us this picture of the monotony and repetition and the meaninglessness of time and time uh, unfolding. So we're given this picture, which on one hand refers to all the different, again, big aspects of life as we perceive them, and on the other hand, still presents time as this encapsulated, finite, limited slice within eternity, that God is so much bigger than and more powerful than. For us, all we know is time and the burden of time, or not having enough time, or uh, this perspective of thinking things take too much time. It's this stress and it's kind of elusive. Uh, I think this is one of the more blatant things in life that we can see is kind of futile or meaningless of just saying the clock is always ticking, right? Time dictates so much of our lives, and yet when we consider the greatness of God, time seems less powerful, less dominant. Uh, you see, God, as the Bible explains, is eternal. This means he's always existed and will always exist. He has no beginning. He has no end. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Hebrews 7 3 says, God has neither beginning of days nor end of life. Being eternal means he's outside of time. And this can bend our brains a little bit, or maybe just mine. So uh, today we're just focusing on the fact that he, God, is over time. He has authority over time. He's the boss of time. And just as he's the boss over all creation and everything else, 
in the universe. And because God rules over time, he works perfectly within time, right? It's not like he can't figure it out. We talked about this at VBS this week, that God doesn't make mistakes. He does everything with a purpose. So, of course, God is always on time. He's never too late. He's never early. The Bible references God's perfect timing in multiple places. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. It's almost this idea that God, in his perfection, wouldn't send Jesus at the wrong time in the course of history, right? Uh, one application of this, which I, I thought was kind of cool, and it's, I mean, it's not gospel truth, but um, one of my seminary professors kind of pointed out that at the time that uh, uh, as the gospels are unfolding and the church is starting to expand, uh, in the world, it was a time where Roman construction had made roads so much better than, previous, uh, than they previously had been, right? Uh, so these advances in transportation and, and, and roadways, you think, oh, that's kind of just a cool advancement in the history of humanity. It also lines up really well with there's a message of truth that we need to send to the ends of the earth so that people can hear the good news of Jesus. And so you can kind of see how God would work, of course, in time and above time um, for his purposes and his plans. John 7.30 refers to people trying to kill Jesus before the time God had appointed. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Romans 5.6 says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 1 Corinthians 15.4 refers to Jesus being raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures previously had prophesied about, right? So even these predictions, these prophecies are unfolding because God is working in time. Um, these examples, they just reinforce the idea that God decides. He's the boss. He's the boss of time. He rules and reigns over it. He can work perfectly within time to accomplish his purposes, and we see Jesus personify this, right? Even as God comes to earth in the form of taking on the form of man, um, Jesus comes at the right time, as we just saw, living in the framework of time, uh, always perfectly engaging, whether it be a time to mourn those who have passed, or a time to rejoice, or a time to speak, or a time to remain silent, etc., Consider Jesus remaining silent at his trial and on the cross instead of defending himself because it was part of God's greater plan to lay down his life at that time. See, if we accept that God is the supreme being in the universe and not just the most powerful but all-powerful, then we should recognize, as Solomon did, that God rules over time. And what I mean by that he is not just the most powerful but all-powerful, if you took uh, every human in the world, right, and had some kind of competition, uh, there would be a winner who could do more than anyone else. But he couldn't do everything, right? So it's different between just being like the most powerful and being all-powerful. There would be a limit on that world champion of whatever contest we set up. But for God, there's no limit. There is no can't. There is no impossibility. And so if he's all-powerful then he's the boss and authority over time. The second thing Solomon wants us to consider regarding time is that our time is limited. Our time is limited. For this point, we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He writes here, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. 
It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, for the, God, for the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Uh, we'll look at verses 4 and through 6 in just a few moments. But uh, this sounds more like the Solomon we know, right? This like, uh, I've considered things, um, I've thought about them, I've mulled them over, and everybody dies, right? Um, this is the negative, blunt style we're used to with, with Solomon and all his wisdom and coming to present his findings. Uh, he so merrily just presents this uh, explanation of time. Everybody dies. The rich, the poor, the good, the bad, the clean, the unclean, as he describes. Just as he's remarked about death before, it doesn't matter who you are. The same fate awaits everyone under the sun. Apart from God, just looking at our physical lives, death is a certainty. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And all we have under the sun is what's in between. And it's limited, right? It's fixed. Uh, in the musical Rent, there's a famous song that talks about measuring a year in time. It says we have 525,600 minutes in one year. It's a fixed amount of time. Uh, don't bring me your arguments about leap years or like flying faster around the globe like Andrew has told me before and uh, things like that that bend my brain a little bit. You can't, uh, in, you know, essentially you can't add time or stretch the minutes, uh, even if you just stretch the labels of time and seconds or whatever, the amount of time it takes from your birth to your death, you cannot change. It is fixed. Again, as we've seen with other aspects of life discussed in Ecclesiastes, the world apart from God recognizes this truth as well. This is not a Christian idea that time is limited, that time is running out, that we are all born and we all die. This is not a Christian um, distinctive Apart from God, those who don't believe in God, they recognize that there are constraints to life within the framework of time. And there's been a consistent theme throughout history that people are unhappy with this idea, these limitations, whether it be searching for fountains of youth or wondering about time travel or just bemoaning the idea that time is running out. Like the Steve Miller Band reminded us, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future, right? It's this elusive pursuit of there's never enough time. And it starts slipping from the beginning. See, the clock starts ticking as soon as we're born of all the pursuits that Solomon has presented to us, that he explores in Ecclesiastes. Time, in my mind, might be the most blatantly futile thing to pursue or the most strong reminder that we have of not being in control of anything and that everything is meaningless. Why? Because tomorrow is always tomorrow, Right? Time is both always running out and always running away from us, just counting down until our time is up. Uh, we've seen Solomon take us down this dark path before. It's the darkness of life and death apart from God. He's making his case again for the meaninglessness of time and life without God. It's a very stark contrast between the eternal, all-powerful God of the universe who is outside of time and our weak temporary, limited selves. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for every man to die once. 
this weakness, this limit on us is actually part of God's design for humanity. It's appointed, right, that God has built life and death, birth and death into humanity. Our lives and our deaths are all under the authority of God's power. But don't let this depress you. This is not the end of the message, right? Uh, I could have said, this is part one. Come back for part two next week. No, we're going to give you the good news before you leave as well. Surely, as Solomon has been doing with the rest of Ecclesiastes, just as he's pointed out, the futility of time to help us recognize our need for God's perspective and purposes regarding time. Everything that he writes and says is meaningless and futile, whatever, it's just this vapor, it's, you can't obtain it, you can't really grasp it, there's no true meaning in any of this stuff. It's not to just to leave us to say, okay, then nothing's worth anything. He's saying, in light of God, in light of what's above the sun, he brings meaning to everything. We always end on the high note of God's grace, right? So let's check out the high note of God's grace. We've established that God rules over time and that our time is limited, so now let's turn to consider time in light of Jesus. So our third point, in Christ we can redeem our time. In Christ we can redeem our time. Let's look again at Ecclesiastes 9, now in verses 4 through 6. It's as positive as we see sometimes, Solomon being. It may not sound that positive, but look for the, the, the silver lining here. Starting in verse 4, but he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Solomon, in his own way, is presenting the upside of living as opposed to death, right? Despite everything being so meaningless, despite time being limited, he's told us how, uh, how lame it is that everyone has a fixed amount of time and everyone meets the same fate. But now in these verses, he says, look, if you, if you have to compare the two, living and dying, being alive is better. And he even takes dogs, which we love, but back then they were looked down upon completely, and says to be a living dog, this detestable creature, is better than to be a dead lion, which is majestic, brave, ferocious, all these things. But he says the dog still has an opportunity for, for hope. He still gets to experience all that is under the sun. However meaningless it might be, it's still better than zero anticipation, zero hope, zero to look forward to, zero to experience. Even the sad reality of knowing our time is running out is still better than having no time left at all, is what he's saying. He's consistently pointed out the futility of life under the sun because there is no meaning apart from God. Nothing to be found in life under the sun is fulfilling because true fulfillment is found when we live life according to God's ways and purposes. So what should our perspective be on time in light of God's purposes? Consider Psalm 90, verse 12, which just tells us, among other things, to number our days. Number our days, and not in a sense of futility, but a sense of urgency. God wants us to acknowledge the limited amount of time we have so that we can spend it wisely. Again, it's urgency, not futility. In Ephesians 5.16, we read that we're to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Some translations say to redeem the time, and I love this phrasing, to redeem our time, because it illustrates the way life in Jesus can be turned around. 
It shows how the answer for Christians is not to throw up our hands and quit because life is meaningless, but to embrace and pursue abundant life in Christ. It's taking the L, right, and making it into a win. It's the manifestation of a living dog is better than a dead lion. There's still another day. There's still breath in my lungs. There's still a chance for hope. How do we redeem our time? Consider the rest of the passage in Ephesians 5, which starts in verse 15 with, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And then he would go on to say, to, number, uh, to redeem our time and make the most of our time. And then verse 17, following that, he says, So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's some specifics in this passage, but it mostly points to a perspective on life that is centered on Christ giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the idea that we talk about all the time at Miss You Day Church, right? That all of life is grace. Every blessing, every victory, every triumph, of course, but also every tragedy, every mistake, every trial. They're all opportunities to respond by faith and become more like Jesus. And in that sense, if we suffer, we identify with Christ. And if we uh, win or succeed, then we are grateful to our gracious Lord. So making the most of our time as Christians is about honoring Jesus and pointing others to Jesus. The days are evil, it says. The message of the world and the passing of time only trend towards discouragement and meaninglessness. But we have a hope beyond this life. There is opportunity as long as we have time on our clock to receive eternal life with God if we haven't yet. This is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're alive and apart from Christ, you still have the opportunity to believe in him and surrender your life to him. It doesn't matter how you've spent your time until this day. Today can be the day of salvation for you. This is what Paul is saying. No matter what day it is, we don't know the day. God appoints the days, but today can be the day of salvation. The Bible says we all need a Savior because our disobedience toward God, our imperfection, has earned us eternal punishment. But the Bible also says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we receive this gift by grace through faith, simply by belief. We can't do anything to earn it because then it wouldn't be a free gift, right? We don't even deserve it. That's why it's grace. So simply by believing in, by trusting your whole heart to Jesus, you can receive eternal life. And as soon as we trust our whole hearts to Jesus, the Bible says we are in Christ. And in Christ, we can redeem the rest of our time until he calls us home. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, In light of Scripture, in light of the Gospel, we thank you for the limitations of time. Whether we measure it in in seconds or minutes or days or years, whatever, God, we we know that it's, it's temporary, this physical life we live. We don't know the appointed day that you call us home. 
We do know, and we heard today, that to still have breath in our lungs, to still have life on this earth, is better than to be out of time. We thank you for the grace, the many graces that you show us in life. I pray, God, for those who uh, have yet to surrender their lives to you, those who are not in Christ, those who uh, can't redeem their time, cannot make the most of their time. God, that you would uh, show them their need for you. Give them the faith to believe. We love you, God, and we trust you, and we thank you again uh, for your grace towards us. And we ask these things again in the name of Jesus. Amen.